Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place Tampa. We want to let you know about our new Wired for Greatness online discipleship platform. It equips you to do the work of God in your realm of influence. Check it out at wiredforgreatness.me. Enjoy this podcast. We are in the middle of a series called The Wild, Weird, and Wonderful Ways of Yahweh. So buckle up, all our guests. This is, this is what we're talking about. And I do need to go a little bit fast today, so I am going to warn you, I am going to read you a lot of Bible. I'm basically going to read a ton of scripture to you today. That's basically my goal. Hopefully I can get that done in the next few minutes. But I want to tell you why we're doing this. We're doing this series because I believe the Lord wants us to rediscover the God that we're overly familiar with. I believe we're supposed to rediscover God in a way that goes, wow, you're bigger than I thought. You know what I mean? If God fits in your brain, then you can recreate God and you can make him an idol. That's why God will never fit in your brain and you will never understand God. So God is much bigger than your brain. Amen? Are you okay? I'm just seeing how fast I can go here. Your brain cannot fit the magnitude of who God is inside of it. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah, one thing I know is that I don't know nothing, all right? That's the one thing I don't, I, that's one I know. I know that. I don't know nothing, all right? Because the things I know are nothing compared to the things we're going to know. It says we see as in a glass dimly, we will then see in full. Uh, yes, you follow me? Okay, cool. So that's why we're doing this. Last week, we talked about uh, a certain wonderful way of Yahweh. And Yahweh, by the way, is just a name for God. It's to mimic breathing And when you're at rest, you speak the name of God. I love that. When you're asleep, you're breathing his name. That's why we should strive to enter his rest. And here you are taking your first step at the resting place. Good for you. I'm proud of you. You're amazing. All right. So we talked about how Yahweh has a wonderful way of anybody? Hiding. Look at that. Pop quiz. I love it. Yahweh has a wonderful way of hiding for our benefit. Yahweh loves to hide in plain sight. We talked about disciples on the road to Emmaus. I would love for you to uh, listen to that. We have our podcast online. Everything's at trptampa.com. So I don't have time to recap much more than that. But today, I want to just reveal to you that Yahweh has a wild way of getting our attention. Yahweh, it's funny because God is love, and the first thing love is is patient. Love is patient, but love, God, love, same word, actually has a wild way of getting our attention, even though God is patient. Love is patient. And this is not, this is a freebie right here, but patience is not actually waiting a long time. It's waiting well, no longer, no matter how long it takes. Patience doesn't wait long. It waits well. Okay? It's a fruit of the Spirit. So the devil waits, but the devil's not patient, right? So it's not about how long you wait, it's about how well you wait, all right? Some of y'all have to wait like 3.2 minutes in Chick-fil-A, at Chick-fil-A the line, and that's a little too long, all right? So come on. And you would call five minutes patience. But it has nothing to do with the duration. It has everything to do with your posture, with who you are in the waiting, amen? So Yahweh, though he's patient, has a wild way of getting our attention when he needs to. I'm going to prove that to you. Now, before I get into some of this crazy scripture I'm about to read you, because it is, it's, prepare yourself. (laughs) It's crazy. 
I kept it as kid-friendly as possible. You know, there's some things in your Bible that are difficult to talk to kids about right away. I mean, it's serious stuff in here. And I, this is not, these are not all the wild things in our Bible. So if I don't pick your favorite one, I'm sorry. These are just the ones I felt the Lord highlighting. But before I get into that, I just want to couch it because sometimes people pick a, a moment in Scripture and build an entire doctrine, denomination, everything out of it. They take a moment and they make that into their, their mantra. They make that into their entire foundation for the faith. I think that's a mistake. We have one foundation, one cornerstone. It's a person named Jesus Christ. So Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, if you just want to write that down, I don't have it for you. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 is the key that unlocks the entire Bible. It unlocks the entire Bible. It says that at the past and many times and in various ways, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken by his son, who is the exact representation of his being and the radiance of his glory. Okay, so Jesus is God. I'm going to say that like 600 times till kingdom come. Jesus is God. All right? Say it with me. Jesus is God. So we don't look at Jesus through the lens of the Bible. We look at the Bible through the lens of Jesus. Are you following me? We don't build doctrines based on moments in the Bible. We build doctrines based on the person of Jesus, okay? Jesus is the one who gets all glory and honor and praise in this house. I don't, I don't need to argue about, you know, God did this, God did that, and that's who God is. Because I know who God is. Jesus is God. God is Jesus. He's the exact representation of his being. Are you okay? Bill Johnson says it best. I'm just going to quote him. Jesus Christ is perfect theology. Period. You want a theology check? Check the life of Jesus. <laughs> check the words of Jesus. Check what he did, what he's doing, who he is. You following me? All right. Now, before, again, the word, I have to really couch this, but you'll understand in a minute with what I read to you. But the word of God is not the Bible. The word of God is a person that the Bible reveals. Sometimes I count to see who's going to heckle. The Word of God is not the Bible. You'll never accuse me of not loving the Bible. Open any of my Bibles and then accuse me of that. Okay. I, am, I love this book. I highly value it. But the writers knew that no matter what happened, no matter what they're writing, the Word of God is not text on a page. It's living and active. It's a person Name Jesus. John chapter 1 says, the word became flesh. Okay, now let me just say one more thing to you that gets me on the heresy radar. Here it is. <laughs> it's whatever. The word became flesh, right? In Jesus. Jesus is the, the word. The Bible says that Jesus in his flesh contained the whole fullness of the deity. That's Colossians 2. All of God fit inside of Jesus. Okay, there's nothing missing. There wasn't a bad mood missing. There wasn't, you know, a mood swing. There wasn't like the Old Testament part of him he forgot about. No, all of God fit in Christ, okay? Now, the Bible is all about God, but not all of God is in the Bible. All of the Bible is about God, but not all of God is in the Bible. I can prove it by the Bible. The last chapter of John, right, right at the very end, he says, and Jesus did many more things that if they were all written down, all the books in the world would not be able to contain them. So your Bible says that all of God is not in the Bible. If all of God is in Christ and not everything Christ did is in the Bible, then not all of God is in the Bible. 
The Bible is all about God, but not all of God is in the Bible. Are you okay? I just have to keep checking. Make sure we're all right here. All right. So we don't. So Jesus is the exact representation of God. Jesus is the whole picture. He's the whole puzzle. Imagine a puzzle, okay? Imagine every moment in your Bible is a piece of the puzzle, okay? Anyone done a puzzle before? Like, you know, one of those things that click together, you put it on a table, it has nothing to do with digital or screens or anything. It might sound like an archaic form of fun, but it's a puzzle. You put it on there, you have a bunch of pieces, you put them all together, and you have to try and fit them all together. That's what everybody was doing until Jesus. Jesus is the full picture, the whole thing revealed. Everything else, every other moment is just a piece of the puzzle. One piece. So can you see how it would be dangerous to say this is what God is like when you pick up one piece of the puzzle, make it real big on the screen, write some statements about it, build a church on it, one little piece of the puzzle. That's silly, especially when we have the whole picture. Are you with me? So, the stories we're going to look at today are only pieces of the puzzle, but Jesus is the entire puzzle and the perfect expression of God. Amen? I had to say that. Here we go. Let's get wild and weird up in here. All right? I'm going to start you off easy, but the first one is John the Baptist in Matthew 3. I'm going to read this. John the Baptist was absolutely a wild attempt Yahweh made to get the Jews' attention. Okay, we're going to read it. Matthew 3, 1 through 12. This is in the Passion Translation. They'll all be up there for you. It was at this time that John the baptizer began to preach in the desert of Judah. His message was this. The realm of heaven's kingdom is about to appear. (laughs) In a person, by the way. So you'd better keep turning away from evil and turn back to God. Isaiah was referring to John when he prophesied a thunderous voice. One will be crying out in the wilderness, prepare for the Lord's coming and level a straight path inside your hearts for him. Now John wore clothing made from camel's hair, tied at his waist with a leather strap, and his food consisted of dried locusts and wild honey. I know most of you probably know this stuff, but don't become overly familiar with the stories about the God that you're overly familiar with. Let's rediscover it today. Think about it. This guy ate honey and dried locusts. You walk into John's house, the cabinet is full of dried locusts on one side, honey on the other side. That's all the dude ate. He's got like legs of locusts sticking out of his teeth when he says, prepare the way of the Lord. There's honey in his beard stuck there from last week. You know, this guy was wild. Wild. A steady stream of people from Jerusalem, all of the surrounding countryside, and the region, the region near Jordan came out to the wilderness to be baptized by him. While they were publicly confessing their sins, he would immerse them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many from among the wealthy elite of Jewish society and many of the religious leaders known as the Pharisees coming to witness the baptism, pause. Let me translate that for you. Are you ready? When he saw all the big tithers and all the pastors coming to witness the baptism... Just, this is the Caleb translation right here. TCT. When he saw all the guys who write the big checks on Sundays and all the megachurch pastors coming to witness the baptism, he began to denounce them saying, you offspring of vipers. Yahweh has a wild way of getting our attention, doesn't he? You offspring of vipers. This is the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, by the way, according to Jesus. You, offspring of vipers, who warned you to slither away like snakes from the fire of God's judgment? 
You must prove your repentance by a changed life. And don't presume you can get away with merely saying to yourselves, we're Abraham's descendants. For I tell you, God can awaken these stones to become sons of Abraham. The axe is now ready to cut down the trees at their very roots. Every fruitless, rotten tree will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. And all the tithers and pastors went, you can't talk to me that way. Don't you know my grandpappy's, grandpappy's, grandpappy's built this place? <laughs> uh, those who repent, John continues, I baptize with water, but there is coming a man after me who is more powerful than I am. In fact, I'm not even worthy enough to pick up his sandals. He will submerge you into union with the spirit of holiness and with a raging fire. He comes with a winnowing fork in his hands and comes to his threshing floor to sift what is worthless from what is pure. And the tithers go, just call me worthless. How can I be worthless? I pay for everything. I'm just bringing you into the story as best I can. And he is ready to sweep out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into his granary. But with the straw, the straw he will burn up with a fire that can't be extinguished. That's pretty wild talk, Mr. John, sir. Locust man, you know? Yes? Yes? Is that I have to keep going. I would sit here and just preach that, but I'm going to give you a bunch more. Are you okay? I'm going to give you like five more. Are you all right? All right, just keep breathing for me, just so I know you're all right, you know. Acts 9, 1 through 9, many of you know this, but this is Saul blinded on the road to Damascus. This is Yahweh getting a persecutor's attention. This is Yahweh getting the, the ISIS of the day's attention. Okay? During those days, Saul, full of angry threats and rage, wanted to murder the disciples of the Lord Jesus. Pretty intense. Wanted to murder the disciples of the Lord Jesus. So he went to ask the high priest and requested a letter of authorization he could take to the Jewish leaders in Damascus in requesting their cooperation in finding and arresting any who were followers of the way. That's what it used to be called, by the way. <laughs> it's Yahweh. Way. I don't know. Sorry, I'm such a dweeb. It's fun. Saul wanted to capture all the believers he found, both men and women, and drag them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. So he obtained the authorization and left for, Dis for Damascus. Many of you know this story, but don't check out on me. Yahweh has a wild way of getting even our enemies' attention, getting a persecutor's attention. Just outside, where is it? I, just outside the city, a brilliant light flashing from heaven suddenly exploded all around him. Can you see this movie playing in your head? A brilliant light exploded all around and falling to the ground. He heard a booming voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The men accompanying Saul were stunned and speechless, for they heard a heavenly voice but could see no one. Saul replied, where, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus the victorious, the one who you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city where you will be told what you are to do. Saul stood to his feet, and even though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. He was blind. Yahweh has a wild way of getting our attention. So the men had to take him by the hand and lead him to Damascus. For three days he couldn't, he didn't eat or drink and couldn't see anything. And then a disciple of the Lord comes and the scales fall from his eyes. He becomes one of the most amazingly brilliant preachers, theologians of the gospel. Amen? You all know his story. But that, let's not just skip over this stuff. That's wild. Right? That ain't even on the, you're not even on the scale of that with your wild, you know what I'm saying? Maybe you are. I don't know. I want to hear your stories after. I'm good with it. You're going to hear one of my stories at the very end if you endure all the way to the end. Those who endure to the end shall be informed of my stories. <laughs> 
Here we go. Let's get even wilder. How about it? Because those are pretty tame, right? That's pretty tame. Tame stuff. If a light came in this room now and exploded and knocked you all on the floor and you were blinded for three days, that'd be pretty tame, right? Pretty normal church stuff. That's every other Sunday. You see how we've become overly familiar with this stuff? Yeah. Not good. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 20. I'm just going to read it. <laughs> in the year of the, when King Sargon of Assyria sent his commander-in-chief to capture the Philistine city of Ashdod, the Lord told Isaiah, son of Amos, take off the burlap you have been wearing and remove your sandals. Isaiah did as he was told and walked around naked and barefoot. I have a word from the Lord. <laughs> then the Lord said, my servant Isaiah has been walking around naked and barefoot for the last three years. Now, now, hold on. Can we go back a slide? He says, take off your burlap. And he, was do he did what he was told and walked around naked and barefoot. Three years later... God speaks again. <laughs> Naked and barefoot, around, walking around Israel, the prophet of the Lord. <laughs> I've, heard, I've read some commentaries on this. There's a bunch of theologians that's what they call themselves who say that he wasn't actually naked, and I'm just like, OK, that's hilarious. It says naked. It's the word for naked. It's butt naked. Homeboy was stripped butt naked. <laughs> Got to do theological acrobatics sometimes to keep up with these theologians, you know. Then the Lord said, my servant has been walking around naked and barefoot for the last three years. This is a sign. This is Yahweh getting their attention, guys. This is a sign, a symbol of the terrible troubles I will bring upon Egypt and Ethiopia. For the king of Assyria will take away the Egyptians and Ethiopians as prisoners. He will make them walk naked and barefoot, both young and old, with their buttocks bared to the shame of Egypt. Isaiah went into his prayer closet, got a prophetic word, walked around without explaining himself as to why it's happening. Because three years later, he found out why it's happening. Oh, this is a prophetic sign. Thanks for letting me know that, Lord. Yahweh has a wild way of getting our attention. I have to keep going because I could, I could preach each one of these, but I'm not doing that. I'm just opening your Bible to you. Are you okay? It's going to get even weirder. <laughs> You're like, how? How can I get weirder? Uh, Ezekiel 4. Ezekiel 4, verse 4 through 17. This is, okay, let me give you some backdrop of, of this. He uh, is told to lay on his side. He makes a little siege of Jerusalem. He draws a little uh, prophetic word in the sand, basically, and shows him what's going to happen. And then God says to him in verse 4, Now lie on your side and place the sin... I, I'm sorry. Now lie on your side and place the sins of Israel on yourself. You are to bear their sins for the number of days you lie there on your side. I'm requiring you to bear Israel's sins for 390 days. One day for each of year of their sin. After that, turn over and lie on your right side for 40 days, one day for each year of Judah's sin. Meanwhile, keep staring at the siege of Jerusalem, his little prophetic picture he drew. Yeah, that's the prophetic art of Ezekiel right there. That's his prophetic art, lying next to it. Lie there with your arm bared and prophesy her destruction. I will tie you up with ropes so that you won't be able to turn from side to side until the days of your siege have been completed. 
We have this, right? Ezekiel 4. Do we have that, Amanda? No? I missed one. Sorry. I gave her a lot of scripture. That's my fault. Okay, so just listen real well. Uh, right, where was that? So God says, lie there with your arm bared, like shaking your fist, and prophesy. And then God says, I will tie you up with ropes so that you won't be able to turn from side to side until the days of your siege have been completed. God came and somehow tied Ezekiel up with ropes. You understand? What did that? I want to see this movie when I get to heaven. Like, let's play the film back, Lord. What? I mean, did you send people to do it? Did, did Ezekiel do it because he got the point? I don't know. This is wild. <laughs> yeah, I will tie you up. You won't be able to turn from side to side until the days of your siege have been completed. Now go and get some wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, millet and immer wheat, and mix them together in a storage jar. Use them to make bread for yourself during the 390 days you will be lying on your side. Ration this out for yourself. Eight ounces of food for each day and eat it at set times. Then measure out a jar of water for each day and drink it at set times. Prepare and eat this food as you would barley cakes. While all the people are watching, bake it over a fire using dried human dung as fuel. And then eat the bread. Oh, I'm so ready for lunch. <laughs> I'm sorry it's not on the screen. It is in there. Ezekiel 4. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. Use them to bake bread for yourself. <laughs> he says, bake it over a fire using dried human dung, poop, as fuel, and then eat the bread. Then the Lord said, this is how Israel will eat defiled bread in the Gentiles' lands to which I will banish them. Then I said, Ezekiel said, sovereign Lord, must I be defiled by using human dung? He's like, come on, God. You're going to tie me up. I'm going to lay on my side for 390 days. I'm going to prophesy her destruction. I already got to do this weird meal plan, this eight ounces of that, whatever. This is crazy. I can't keep up with it. Do I got to do it over human dung? Does it have to be human poop? Does it have to be? He says, I've never been defiled before. From the time I was a child until now, I have never eaten any animal that died of sickness or was killed by other animals. I have never eaten any meat forbidden by the law. You need to get this. God instructed him to eat things that were forbidden by the law. God instructed him to break the law. That'll dismantle your legalism in like 0.5 seconds. God commanded, the sovereign Lord commanded him to do something that was illegal. Huh. Huh. Weird. So he pleads with God, and then God res responds, all right. He says, all right, the Lord said. You may break your bread with cow dung instead of human dung. <laughs> That's what he says. You may cook it over cow poop instead of your poop. How about that? And then he told me, son of man, I will make food very scarce in Jerusalem. Again, I'm going to keep moving. It was another sign for Israel about what was going to happen. But it's pretty wild and weird, I would say. All right, can you handle a few more? Are you okay? All right, Numbers 22, 22 through 34. Do we have this one? Numbers 22. Okay, very good. This is about Balaam, the prophet. And let me give you some backdrop. God told him not to go because, and on behalf of Moab because Moab basically wanted to hire his prophetic cursing to curse the people that were coming against him, right? And so Moab tried to hire the prophet. God told him not to go. Don't curse the people. But then they pleaded a second time, and God said, go, but only do what I tell you. That's verse uh, 20, I think. Go, but only do what I tell you. So God tells Balaam to go. Say, God 
told Balaam to go. Very next sentence. The next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. But God was angry that Balaam was going. God was angry that Balaam was going. Can I just propose something to you, a little nugget here? Sometimes God tells you things to test your heart. Instead of giving you a play-by-play of what you're supposed to do. He told Moses, get out of the way, I'm going to smite these people. And Moses interceded for the people and disobeyed God, stood in the way. Sometimes God says things to test your heart. Because he already told him not to go. And he's like, fine, go, but only do what I tell you. Then he gets angry that he went. Just saying. <laughs> God was angry that Balaam was going, so he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road to block his way. Y'all, how many know this story? Because it's about to, yeah? Okay. This is really weird. As Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat it and turned it back onto the road. Yeah, all the animal lovers are like, oh. <laughs> Namely, Sandy in the front row. <laughs> then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. While the donkey saw the angel, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and crush Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved further down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time, when the donkey saw the angel and lay down under Balaam, in a fit of rage, Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. (laughs) Is this the Bible or Shrek? I don't understand. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. (laughs) Now this is the donkey talking, laying under him, getting beat. I'm not going to try and like mimic a voice that's in my head. I, I hear a voice, but I'm not going to do it. The donkey says, what have I done to you that deserves your beating me three times? It asks Balaam. And Balaam responds to the donkey. <laughs> the donkey's getting beat, looks up. Why are you hitting me, man? What have I done to deserve this? And it asks Balaam. Balaam responds. He talks back to the donkey. You have made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. The donkey replies, but I am the same donkey you've ridden all your life. The donkey answered, have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. We're just having a conversation with a donkey. (laughs) What? Yahweh has a wild way of getting our attention. Amen? Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Why did you beat your donkey those three times, the angel of the Lord demanded. Look, I have come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, I would have certainly killed you by now and spared the donkey. (sighs) The angel of the Lord loves animals. It's an animal lover. Come on. I would have killed you by now if it hadn't been for that donkey you're beating. Saved your life, Balaam. I can just see Balaam looking at the donkey and be like, sorry, bro. Thanks. (laughs) I would have certainly killed you by now and spared the donkey. Then Balaam confessed to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. 
He gets it. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to block my way. I will return home if you're against my going. And the story goes on, but that's the crazy part. So, whoo. Next time you say that, God wouldn't do that. Remember the talking, beaten donkey story. Remember that, all right? All right, I should probably pick between the next two. Okay, I'm not going to read both of the next ones. I'm just going to paraphrase. John 2, 1 through 11 is when Jesus turns water into wine. You can read the story for yourself. I call it wild because he turned water into wine for already drunk people. When he turns the water into wine, they take it to the master of the feast. The master of the feast says, everybody usually brings out the good stuff at the beginning. And then when everybody's had a few, a couple cups is what it literally says, a few cups. How many times have you drank a couple cups of wine and been okay, all right? A couple cups, and then they bring out the cheap stuff to keep the party going. But you've brought out the best stuff now. What does that tell you? Everybody was a little tipsy already. And Jesus made water into wine for them. Hmm. Maybe Yahweh is trying to get our attention. Maybe it's more than just the wine in the cup. Maybe it speaks of the last days. Maybe it speaks of the latter days of the house being more glorious than the former days. I can't preach it. I got to keep going. Then, right after he makes a bunch of drunk people drunker, John 2.13, I'm going to read it to you. After this, it was right after this, Jesus, his mother, and the brothers and his disciples went to Capernaum and stayed there for a few days. But the time was close for the Jewish Passover to begin. So Jesus walked in, walked to Jerusalem. As he went into the temple courtyard, he noticed it was filled with merchants selling oxen, lambs, and doves for exorbitant prices, exorbitant prices, while others were overcharging as they exchanged currency behind their counters. Many of you have heard this story, but here at New Year's today, they were overcharging, cheating the people, and doing wrong by them. And this was for the sacrifice. They would have to come and exchange money to buy a sacrifice to the Lord. They're, they were cheating people out of being able to offer a decent sacrifice to God in worship. That happens today in churches, but it has nothing to do with the bookstore. Yeah. <clears throat> you don't have time. So, <laughs> they're exchanged currency behind their counters. So, Jesus found some rope and made it into a whip. Then he drove out every one of them and their animals from the courtyard of the temple. He kicked over their tables filled with money, scattering it everywhere, and he shouted at the merchants, get these things out of here! Now, come on. Jesus, calm down. You're getting a little wild. We don't do that in church, okay? That's weird. <laughs> he sees it, goes back outside the temple, finds some rope, sits down, and braids a whip, guys. You know how long that takes? I mean, he sat there on the curb, braiding a whip. What were the disciples thinking? Like, um, um, <laughs> Jesus? Are you okay? <laughs> Peter, go ask him if he's okay. No, no, I'm not doing it. John, ask him. He likes you a lot. <laughs> he won't hit you with it. He kicks the tables, drives them out. And by the way, this is just my little uh, expository commentary. The whip was for the animals, okay? The whip was so the animals would understand. I don't believe Jesus hit anybody with a whip. 
I don't even believe he hit the animals because in that day you didn't have to. Shepherd, they would have heard a whip and knew it's time to move. That's, what, that's how they did it, okay? So, you know, you got this picture of Jesus whipping Pharisees in the head and leaving marks and stuff. That's not what happened. Just want just to bring some balance here, you know? The whip, the animals understand. Him turning over tables and shouting, the people understood. Are you following me? Yeah, he was communicating. This is called a kingdom confrontation. <laughs> this is called assertive communication right here. <laughs> he says, get these things out of here. Sorry, he shouts, get these things out of here. Don't you dare make my father's house into a center for merchandise. That's when his disciples remembered from the scripture, I am consumed with a fire passion to keep your house pure. Now you are the temple, and he's consumed with a fire passion to keep you pure. Now. And he's still kicking over stuff and cracking a whip when things hinder your pure devotion to the Lord. Yes, he is. Can I give you a personal experience? One story, and then I'll land the plane here for our restoration team. Because that, yeah, I mean, that happened in the Bible. But sometimes we get into this, this uh, mode of thinking, well, those were Bible times, right? That was Bible days. God was doing that then. Why would he do things like that now? Well, he's the same today yesterday and forever, but he doesn't always act the same, right? Tongues were a brand new thing, Acts 2. Uh, that had never happened before. That was a brand new thing. So I've heard statements like, if, it, if it's new, it ain't true. Concerning the Bible, concerning kingdom stuff, you know, like, if it's new, it ain't true. I'm like, I'm glad you weren't there on the day of Pentecost, because all of that was new. People acting drunk, people speaking in tongues, all that. That was all new, bro. <laughs> If it's new, it ain't true. If it's new, it ain't true. You know, this is not God. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes we need personal testimony. I think sometimes we need current events, yeah, as well as the Bible, just to, just to further understand that Yahweh has a wild way of getting our attention. And today, I really just want you to take away something, that if you've had a wild encounter, you're not weird. You're not demonically possessed. It wasn't necessarily whatever your old church called it. It could have been God talking to you through that jack donkey, you know? Oh, I tried to be funny just now, and you're all uncomfortable. It's okay. <laughs> I could read you the King, King James version of the story, and you would actually hear that word come out of my mouth just by reading it, but whatever. One year in Israel, I've been seven times, I went to the garden tomb where Jesus raised from the dead, no big deal. It was crazy, right? And we're at the tomb taking communion. I'm with my friend Brian Simmons. He's leading the meeting. And I'm playing my guitar, and he's got the, the elements, and he's about to, like, uh, we're about to finish the song, and he's about to explain what to do and what the uh, beauty of communion is and all that stuff. You know, you should come to Israel with me because we get to take communion in the garden tomb. I mean... <laughs> That alone is worth the trip. Anyway, he's, he's about to explain that, and I'm playing, and all of a sudden, we hear this really loud, crazy ruckus over here off to my left. And somehow, it's a noise louder than me and my 75 wild Jesus friends, you know what I'm saying? Somehow, they're drowning us out. Like, I can barely hear our people singing. There's these other people singing. It's really loud and very disturbing, and honestly, Horribly out of key, out of time. It was awful. Awful. Not pretty. Not the voice of the Lord. It was just awful. They're trying to sing a hymn together, and it's just really loud and really bad. Okay? So I just want to bring you into it. And Brian looks at me, 
And just, just so fatherly, looks at me, he goes, let's join them. Not, this is our community time, they're disturbing our time, someone tell them to be quiet. He perceived the will of the Lord just there and said, hey, let's join him. And I'm like, that sounds crazy. All right, let's do it. You know what I'm saying? So I'm running over there with my guitar, and I'm changing my capo position. I'm trying to find which of the seven keys I want to choose from what they're singing. And, and I'm just like... <laughs> I just pick one, and they're singing I Exalte. I pick one, and I walk, in, I walk right into this group of like 30 South Africans, okay? They're loud, man. I walk right into it, and I'm like, they're like trying, I Exalte, and I'm like, I get in there, and they're like, I Exalte, and I'm like giving the time and everything, because I got 75 people coming over trying to join the chaos, okay? So I'm trying to bring it all together. God is a God of order, <laughs> all right? Don't forget. So I'm like, and they start, they look at me like, oh, that sounds better. Let's do it like that. So I jump in, and all of a sudden, now there's like 125 of us from, I think we counted later, like 19 different nations, all singing the same hymn at the garden tomb. It was a beautiful moment of unity, and we're singing, and we, I thought that was all. I thought that was great. Here we are. We're crowded around each other. I stopped singing, and then the leader of the group, points his, I mean, very large hand at me and says, you, just like that, man. I'm like, uh-huh, <laughs> you, and he starts prophesying over me. He's like, you'll go to the nations. Your sound is going to change the world. You're releasing something today through you that's going to change, flip continents. He used the statement, it's going to flip continents. There's a lot more to it. He kept prophesying, but I'm like, like, oh my, what? Okay, I'm trying to get my phone out to record. I've got my guitar. I'm like, oh. And then this little, quiet South African lady comes trotting on over, and she puts her hand right on top of my head, and bang, I slam to the ground with my guitar, land on somebody's kneecap, all right, fall to the ground. It felt like a 200-pound blanket was thrown over my head. I'm not messing with you. It, it was heavy. It was just boom. I had no choice, and I could not get up. Okay, and then everybody starts falling, everybody starts shouting in tongues. It's the people from the actual garden tomb come over and they're trying to st stop it, but no one can hear them. It's just, it was wild. <laughs> Seriously. They're like, stop. I'm like, what? Bless you. And they're like, oh. <laughs> it was wild, man. I'm on the ground and I cannot get up, all right? This was absolutely crazy. And it's not like I wasn't paying attention to God. I was on a mission trip. But God wanted to grab me and mark me and grab my attention. All right? It actually took two full-grown men to carry me out. We have some pictures for you. This is right after they picked me up. The guy on the right is an Olympic athlete. Okay? Seriously. He's my buddy, Kevin. And the guy on the left is no joke either. All right? I'm 115 pounds soaking wet. And they had a hard time dragging me out. Go to the next picture. They were struggling to keep me on their shoulders, okay? He's got, I mean, they're on top, underneath. It's, they're trying their best. Go to the next one. They walk me all the way out, because, and they're dragging my feet, my boots, and I'm just going to drag. I think we have one more, same thing. They walk me all the way down there. They get me to the bus, and they are out of breath <laughs> and sweating, and they just kind of like lay me in the bus, and they're like, <sighs> an Olympic athlete and a normal sized guy carrying me. All right? So it wasn't just in my head. They, and I was trying to help them, but I was just like, oh, you know? It was crazy. 
What was God saying? I have no idea. How did that change my life? Couldn't tell you. What was the purpose of this? <laughs> Still not sure. <laughs> All I know is Yahweh has a wild way of getting our attention. And I want you to have permission in your heart to experience God the way God wants you to experience him. Today is about giving yourself permission to experience God the way God wants you to experience God. I give you permission to leave your little church box in your chair. I'll clean it up later. All right? And take, take not any tradition with you. Because God loves to blow up your box. People say God doesn't fit in the box. I'm like, well, you make a box and God enjoys trying to fit in the box and it breaks the box. That's how God does it. He's like, oh, that's a cute box. Let me see if I can. Nope, not big enough. That's how he does it. And if somebody in here starts floating, shaking, glowing, whatever, I'm giving the resting place permission as a senior leader of the house to experience God the way God wants you to experience God. Now listen, I've been around both things. I've, been, I've seen the strange fire. I've seen people fake stuff because they want an encounter so bad. And I just want to tell you, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Are you ready? Are you ready? None of that is your job. It's not your job to worry about anyone else's encounter. If it happens here, it's my job. It's not your job unless I give you that job. Somebody's shaking, rolling, whatever. Don't worry about it. It's not your encounter. Certainly don't start throwing curses on them in your mind or with your mouth. Because it might just be one of them donkey times. <laughs> or those naked and barefoot times. It might just be one of those times that God stops doing anything until he completes the whip times. <laughs> Who are you? If you give others permission, I believe God is coming after you. I believe when we extend permission to others and give mercy and grace and let mercy triumph over judgment and let the people who are authorized to handle it, handle it, I believe you actually become an encounter target. Because that's what actually happened to me. Because all that stuff was really new to me. I, that, you know what I mean? But I had started just, I stopped judging it. And guess what? I, got, I had to get carried out by two grown men, you know? Just saying. That's not my only one. There's other times I can't uh, go into it now. I'm going to have the restoration team come up. Pastor Jimmy as well. As they're coming up, I will tell you, one time during an all-night prayer meeting, I was on all fours in the travails of birth. I literally felt like I was giving birth in my body. And I sounded like I was giving, my, giving birth. My wife will tell you she was there. She was literally thinking like, oh, God, he's, he's gone insane. He's messed up. So I'm just saying. Yahweh has a wild way of getting our attention. It's biblical. So let's leave our judgments like right there. Don't even leave them at the door. Leave them right where you're at and in your chair. Just leave them there. All right? I'll clean them up later. It's fine. I'm here all week. All right? <laughs> Amen? Amen. Bless you guys. Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place Tampa. We want to let you know about our new Wired for Greatness online discipleship platform. It equips you to do the work of God in your realm of influence. Check it out at wiredforgreatness.me. Enjoy this podcast.